I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo with Rover's Choice, and this is another round of podcasts. Now, this is exciting for me because this is episode. I can't believe I'm saying this. 100. We've done this a hundred times. Now, you would think not to put the guy I'm talking to down today, that I have some huge name, some name that everyone knows in the world of rowing. But I think a lot of people do know who this person is. He has, he's a journeyman. He's been doing this a long time. And we're going to get into the history of how he got to where he is today, which is a really big deal. He is a career coach, which is something that's near and dear to my heart. I love it. I love when I meet someone who has made rowing their entire life. And you will hear it in this wonderful interview that we have today. But uh, I was thinking like, what am I gonna say in my intro? I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Everyone knows that about me. I'm constantly smiling. And I met this guy in the worst time in American recent history in a pandemic. We met in a pandemic. In fact, I spent two years talking to this guy every single week. And then I finally got to meet him only a year and a half ago. So we spent two years leading up, we had a pandemic. And then all of a sudden I meet this guy and I come to find he is an idea man. Chris Leonard, welcome to the podcast. That is quite an introduction. I appreciate it. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk to you because you know you and I have talked rowing uh, at nauseum. And there's a lot about the stroke and the technique and the, and the training plans. And we're going to get into that because we've had so many people out of 100 podcasts ask us, hey, Alex. Hey, CJ, hey, Rower's Choice, can you do more than just talk about someone's history? Said, sure, but we're going to get to that. Now, Chris, yep. how old were you and where were you when you took that first rowing stroke? Well, oh, I was a first stroke or first time I got in a boat because that was a coxswain. Um, well, how, about, how about the boat? How about the, okay. boat? Give me the boat? That was, um, I was freshman in high school um, back at uh, Iona Prep in, in New York. And I actually got carried to the coach's office. So the team had just started my freshman year or started back my freshman year, I guess, from the 80s. Um, and a guy that I'd known my entire life and our parents were friends when they were in high school. Um, he's actually assistant coach at uh, Marietta now. Um, but he grabbed me before baseball or tennis. I don't remember what it was. And carried me to the coach's office and was like, I found you a coxswain. And I was like, cool, I guess I'm doing that. And uh, showed up that next Monday and been doing it since, when was that? 2014, I guess. So how, oh, like how small? No, 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 sorry, 2010. 2010. Jeez. So like how, how small were you? I was probably the same height. So like five, eight-ish. And up until... A year after college is 118, 119 pounds. And then would would do the, and I'm not supposed to, and part of the reason I got rid of weigh-ins and stuff, but like drink two liters of water because I knew it was 4.4 pounds and get up to weight and I was good to go. <laughs> I love, I dude, that just, you, that just tells me how technical you are. It's, I can't wait to talk about the stroke, but you do yeah. I own a prep. It's not a super fast program, right? Like everyone, everyone in the Northeast sort of knows Iota Prep. Uh, sure. Those programs, they had some successful aids sometimes in the early 2000s, 
or rather your your era, like the 2010s. Um, but Sorry, like that was 2006. Jeez, I graduated high school in 2010. I'm like, it's too wow. early for me. It's too early. 2006. Very early. So 06. So 06. 06. All right. So I graduated in 08, 04. So we are two years apart. Um, okay. So you 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 but you you stay in the New York area, right? So you, tell me where did you go after Iota Prep? So after I went to uh, Marist College. Um, Again, smaller program um, and was lucky enough. I had my uh, first two years there. Awesome coach. Um, and then he went on to be the uh, director of Vesper for a little bit, Sean Clark um, and my high school coach, actually. And he, uh, Brad Maxwell, who then went to Saratoga and did some pretty cool stuff with the guys there. Like they won the lightweight eight. I think they won the four. He, he, it was awesome. So I was lucky to have some, some really good coaches. Um, and then in the summers there, I was at Tennessee one year, was at U23 camp, um, I guess University Games camp my, after my junior year, U23 camp after my, um, after my senior year. And again, just met some, some really awesome people that, that helped me out in the sport. And um, like uh, Kane, Matt, um, Lair, and, and Bruce Smith at, at CRI were, were pretty impactful. And then... Um, was lucky enough to have Matt Smith and, and Wyatt Allen coaching at, at U23, which is just awesome. Um, and those two guys are, are great guys and, and still friendly to this day. So it's, it's been, been lucky to just kind of like walk into some, some pretty cool people in the sport that I can go to and, and ask questions and are, are still willing to help out. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate what you just said there. So I, we're going to do this running calculator of how many people that you know in the sport of rowing, right? So somewhere <laughs> somebody's be like, you know, and, and it's so funny, you're not like name dropping to name drop, right? You're, you're, you are humble. That's, that's in your nature. You are a, a humbled individual. You're not a boastful individual. And, and these people like Wyatt yeah. Allen, Olympian, Bruce Smith, the CEO of Hydro that's revolutionizing yeah. the sport. Uh, Matt Smith, Brad Maxwell. I mean, these people have molded and helped create rowing that we see today. Yeah. Um, but you were clearly like, super motivated right so you had penn ac u23 university games yeah as a coxswain so like i don't know that world is it highly competitive is the coxswain space really competitive at that level um i think so yeah it's at all of those camps uh regardless of, of what it was i mean we'd always have uh, especially in like the u23 side like two or three coxswains that were there and for one spot Right. And, and had to make decisions pretty quick. And I mean, Hodge was at, um, who you guys know really well, was at both of those with me. Um, and then I think he went, he's a year younger than me, two years younger than me. I don't, I don't know, but he, he continued to go after um, Lou Lombardi was there, like guys that have, have gone on to do some really cool stuff. So I, I think it is pretty competitive. And um, I remember the first day at uh, camp, my first year, we were gone with three eights. And Hodge was there, I think. It was the two of us were, were coxing and we're on the Charles. And it was right around Elliot. And I slowed down because we were behind. So I was like, yeah, Hodge, you can go. Um, we're doing pieces. And Bruce pulled me aside after. And he's like, if you let another boat pass you, you're getting cut on the spot. I was like, oh, okay. I guess we're just going two across through all the bridges. Like, okay. so yeah, it gets, it gets competitive. 
Wow. All right. So you do you, you do the college scene. Yeah. What was like the most successful summer or season you had in those four years at Marist and like all the other camps? Yeah, I guess um, depends on the definition of success, right? Like best results um, or most fun or when did I learn the yeah, most? Give like, me, you know, give, get, tell me. Like, what you- I, I definitely learned the most my first year at Penn AC. Like that was awesome. Um, I was lucky enough to be coxing the, the senior eight. And a lot of those guys were um, either other places because um, I was uh, 2012. So that was um, Olympic year. So a lot of the guys were gone. Um, like Kasperzik and David Banks and those guys were like in the eight. Um, so we didn't practice much. Uh, and then I rode the launch with, uh, this guy, Vinny Puma. I don't know if you know Vinny, oh, uh, you met Vinny, like, and he's awesome. Um, so I rode his launch all summer and he was a fairly successful coxswain and just got to pick his brain and hang out with Vinny and go out in the single and hop in the lightweight eight if they were missing guys. So like, that I think for me was definitely the most successful summer because I just was able to be in a launch with a coxswain that had done it at a high level and, and really learn a lot um, and just be around some really, really good rowers um, that continued to row and, and be successful after college. Um, and yeah, we did some pretty cool stuff. I mean, we, we did really well at Canadian Henley. We did okay on the U23 side during the summer. It was not the typical... I think that was actually one of the slower years at Penn AC, just in general. Um, met my wife that summer. So like, yeah, it was a pretty successful summer, I think, in, in oh, that yeah. regard. I, I didn't yeah. realize you met Annie there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. She was the captain of Penn AC, actually. Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no kidding. That's your most successful year. I, mean, I think so. You, yeah. are, you, you, you swing. <laughs> So far above the average, absurd. <laughs> and I'm going to say it probably three more times. So my calculations right now are saying that I got I got ten people. I've count, I've added ten people in my in in your list here that have impacted feel, you so far. I feel like a jerk. I'm no, just going to not. No, no, no. <laughs> Hold on. No, 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 no. You're not because because it's like you, you again. I'm going to say it again. You're so humble right now. You take you take some wild turns here because I like I obviously know your your history. So, you know you're 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 in your 30s and you've made coaching your career, right? So at what point in this span of four years at Maris and all the summer rowing and all that stuff did you say this is my life? I'm doing this for the rest of my life. Like when did you when did that click? So I after college, um, was talking to Wyatt, he was like go to Princeton, um, like go to the training center, do that for a bit. Um, so I talked to Luke McGee at the time was there and I was like, okay, what's the deal with this? We talked a bit and he's like, yeah, we're cause Zach was coxing at the time. And he was like, yeah, Zach's got it for the, the next cycle. And then maybe like 2020, um, is kind of when it would open up and we'll see, maybe somebody else comes through. And I was like, Okay, so it was 2014 at the time. It's like I got six years to stay at weight and, and do this. I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> um, so I actually went and worked in finance for a bit. Um, and probably oh, October, January around that time, Bruce Smith starts calling me and he's like, Hey, come up to the, the IRL. And I was like, I, 
I can't like I'm doing this got my career gonna do this kept calling me kept calling me kept calling me um and I was down in Mexico actually on a uh was going scuba diving like just needed a break from work gonna go down there um <laughs> yeah and uh Bruce called me again he's like look gotta make this work we can we have a spot and interview volunteer at Harvard um and we'll see so I actually talked to my I talked to my parents talked to my grandmother who passed away um and they told me all of them that like I was what 20 22 they're like go try it like you're not going to be working in finance till you're 40 and all of a sudden then decide you're going to go volunteer coach somewhere right like you can always go back to that if you want um and I'd missed the sport a lot and and missed being around the team and and doing all that so I took a chance and went up there and again just kind of lucked into meeting some people that were, were pretty influential and, and let's you know. hold on. Let me, let me, let me like clarify this. So yeah. Bruce called you for what exactly? To go to the, the IRL, the program at CRI, the Institute for Rowing Leadership. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And that was, and, and that was like fairly new. I mean, it was, it was like, it was like almost new at that point. Yeah. I think that was year three or we were class three, I think. Yeah. So you're Two class three, three at, at the yeah. IRL. And then you're also the, the volunteer at harvard for the the lightweights yeah so so who was the coach then with you um mikhail bartman who's awesome um yeah and and that's another one like just kind of right place right time and and able to just talk to mikhail a lot about and and i i think people that listen are like pretty into rowing and that stuff like that 96 touch eight is still to this day i think one of the best eights that has ever been out there um so talking to him about that and how they trained and and, and like would, we would have class in the morning um and we we're done around 10 or so and we didn't start practice until two in the afternoon so i'd just go there sit in the office and like just talk to him about stuff and the guy loves rowing and um yeah to this day we'll just kind of check in and, and talk and if i have questions i can ask the stuff um but just like a really good guy that I was, I was lucky to meet there. And Joe Gartland, another one who's the, was the assistant. Oh, well, it's, it's announced they hired somebody else. Um, not at Princeton anymore. He's gone coaching a junior team, which is awesome. Um, but like another guy that you met that I think is awesome. Um, that I mean, he was in your lucky. way. I mean, yeah. he, was, he was in your way. All right. <laughs> yeah. So, so, okay. Now I've been to like nearly every boathouse in America. And cool. I've stood on the dock of Harvard. I never went in, never went in. I, oh yeah, oh, oh, believe, listen, like if anyone listening or watching this, if you can just get me into Harvard's boathouse, I'll give you like a hundred bucks. <laughs> I, I just, I need to get in there. So you're there, yeah. the, the history, and there's a sm there's gotta be a smell to Harvard. Like, yeah. was it then that you just realized I got to do this forever? I mean, Christ, you were, you were in one of the most historic boathouses in the world. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was, um, it's a really cool place. It's not nice. Like the boathouse is not nice. <laughs> and I think, but part of that is like the, the charm of that boathouse. I mean, they have the original tanks from 1920 or in 
there and we use them and like the same old oars and like got stuff just everywhere in that boathouse is just pictures of historic crews and like that rude and smooth crew that was ridiculous and Malcolm Howard's oar is hanging up in there and like pictures of of Harry Parker with his crews and and Charlie with all of his crews and and being around those guys and I mean sitting in the in the we'd hang out in the shop a lot or or the heavyweight offices upstairs and the the lightweight guys were right inside the door so we didn't reach yep. their offices but like talking <laughs> Charlie um I, I know he did it on purpose because he like every day would introduce himself to me and be like hey Charlie Bot. <laughs> like I know like I've been here for a year and then uh, like two years ago we were down um for head of the Charles in 19. And, and one of the guys that was in, in one of my crews, I was racing was talking to Harvard. So like going to the shop, like, Hey, Brett's here. Like anybody come talk to him. Charlie was like, Hey, Chris, I was like, I knew you knew me. Like <laughs> just, but like talking to him and, and McKeel and McKeel had his, so, you know, the, um, I think most people have seen the social network. And like that, that Henley race, like McKeel was in that Dutch crew, um, that one and all that, but like he had his oar from that crew hanging in the office. Like, it's just stuff like that is just super cool. And I don't think you get it anywhere else. I mean, the, the whole upstairs erg room is just lined with pictures of crews that, that won the Harvard Yale race or IRA or sprints or Henley or whatever. And it is wall to wall like floor to ceiling just covered in pictures of these guys and it's just like wow um it, I, it's I mean, I, that's that, that's beautiful now you do this you do this for a year um and this is like where your career really starts to like progress right yeah. so where do you head after harvard and the irl so after harvard i wasn't really sure what was going on like i couldn't volunteer for another year um McKeel had just stepped down at Harvard. Um, so we weren't really sure what was going on there. Ian stayed, which is awesome. Ian's a really good guy. Um, and saw a job posting for Marin, sent my resume over the day it got posted and, and Sandy called me the next day, um, to talk about going out there. So yeah, packed up and moved to San Francisco and didn't have an apartment or anything. We just kind of started driving and, uh, yeah, this, just this, got this lucky. Happened this has happened to you a couple times, right? Times. Uh, where you yeah. just you pick up and leave. So, you, yep. So, okay. So, interesting. So, let me ask, like, why, why spend a year at Harvard? Why spend a year at IRL and then choose to go to the high school level? Um, I don't know if this is kind of the same experience for everybody, or if it is more on just the kind of lightweight side of things. Um. It seemed to me at the time, and, and maybe just with my high school experience with Brad and all of that, like part of the reason I, I got into coaching, and I think it's the same for a lot of people, is that we had, or I had specifically, like a, a pretty influential experience in, in high school and, and college run that, that shaped my life. And, and that's kind of the reason I wanted to get into this and, and hopefully... Um, be a positive influence on, on some of these athletes. And I think you have an opportunity to have more of an impact and, and really um, 
benefit somebody's life on on the junior side than on on the college side like a, a lot of and and again it might just be a product of of being at harvard or any of that stuff like every, everybody there that had had gone through it seemed like they were on a pretty good path and and we're gonna do what they were gonna do and I, i'm still in contact with a lot of those guys and, and they're all super successful right like they're all graduated from with a degree from harvard regardless of if they were in the varsity eight or the five b um but yeah, that's, that's kind of what pushed me towards the junior side, just being able to have a positive imp impact on, on young athletes in, in the way that, that Brad did for me. Um, and really like having an opportunity to go out and coach at, at Marin and learn from Sandy and, and Tim had been there forever and just won a national championship, like being, being around those guys, I don't know if you could learn in a better environment right like those they're awesome um so when when that opportunity presented itself i, I don't think could have said no really um was this was this enough for you to like make a make a, a mediocre living like you were able to make enough money in marin to pay for a house or like an apartment and and live or did you have to do other stuff uh that was all i was doing yeah i was just coaching marin um and it was enough and we were we again, everywhere that we've been, like the, the parents and families have been super supportive. So we were lucky enough that we had a couple of parents that were willing to, that had in-law units or whatever, and we're willing to open it up and not really charge us a lot of rent. So we were able to save some money and um, yeah, it was, it was great. 24 years old, you, you yeah. hop in a little car, you drive yep. straight West, almost straight West, actually. Yep. I think it, it rides the same same line yeah you go out to marin uh how long are you there with sandy in that in that program how long are you there for um two years so i was there for two years um i was the assistant coach my first year for the guys um i think we had a pretty pretty successful year um and then uh november of my second year there so i was 25 uh was the the interim head coach there for the boys because Andrew had left around Thanksgiving yet. I honestly don't know the whole story, but I, I know he ended up having to go back home and, and that stuff. So, yeah. That's, so it's Andrew Lennox and yep. uh, Andrew Lennox and I wrote a college together at GW. Yep. And uh, you talk about nice parents. When I graduated college, um, I was like, Hey, I want to be a TV anchor man. And his parents welcomed me in their home for nine months free of charge. And I was like, and I got this job at, at, at Pittsburgh at ABC television. And it was like, it was like surreal. And the Lennox family brought me in. Um, that was, I want to say 2013, 2012, 2013. And then, uh, no, oh my God, no. What am I saying? It was 2009. Now you got me all tricked up. <laughs> See? That was 08, 09. I'm old as shit. Holy cow. Yeah, that was like 08, 09. You weren't even in like fucking, you weren't even still, you were still in high school uh at that i know you were in college all right so all right so you you do marin you do this interim yeah. head coach now why not stay at marin like you, you do that interim head coach thing what happens next yeah um so it's coaching at at oakland over the summer we did a really cool thing um so joe garland came in and um just, he knew uh david coven who's on the board at Oakland and, and really involved with friends of Princeton. So 
Joe came in to kind of run this summer camp, um, and then myself and Jovan Jovanovic, who's now the head coach at Oakland, um, were assistants at this camp, and we made like kind of this sort of like Bay Area all-star team thing with like Marin, Oakland, NorCal. Um, there are a couple of SI guys, um, Pacific, like just this team of random guys that came together. Um, and that was awesome. Went to club nationals and it was a, one of the most fun summers I've had coaching, just like with really good friends, a lot of really good guys that didn't get invited to whether a selection camp or HP camp or whatever they wanted to do and just kind of had a chip on their shoulder and wanted to go race. Um, and during that time, got a call from Ben Heiss, who was at Capitol, um, and he had just finished year two at Capitol, and he had this crazy idea that he wanted to put together this team of coaches on the men's side that were all head coaches at other places, um, and his pitch to me was like, hey, instead of racing each other and trying to beat each other, why don't we just come up and, and make a dynasty, and like, no egos everybody's going to kind of work together and we're going to make this program as fast as possible. Um, and that seemed pretty enticing. And we talked a little bit more and yeah, I know I was super, super young to be running Marin. So Sandy was, you know, um, cause it was interim bringing, uh, skip Kielt, uh, from Hobart to kind of head up that program and skip did an awesome job. Um, and he's now at the training center, the, I guess it's still training center, right? California Rowing Club. Like he's doing that. I was over at Henley with those guys. Like, um, and Sandy asked me to stay on and I was like, I think I'm going to do this. Um, yeah. And moved, moved up to Capitol. <laughs> so it's not that, it's not that far, right? It's like an hour and a half. It's about an hour and a half. Yeah. Okay. So you, you do, you're trying to build this dynasty. This is what? Yeah. 2017. That was 20 summer, 2018. 2018. Yeah. All right. So, all right. 2018. You're there for, you're there for only two years, right? Marin. So you're there, you're, you're right. So you go Marina two years and then you're at Capitol for two years, right? Because you make a, a monumental or two no. and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. Because you make a monumental shift to go to Dallas, Texas in yes, White sir. Rock. Now I meet you in 2019, 2020, right? So you and I meet yeah right smack dab like end of the winter pandemic's about to hit you and i meet virtually we spend yep. an entire getting getting to know each other yeah kicking ass at capital you're, you're you're building a really fun program yeah and then i i remember getting a call from you and you're like hey you, you got a minute and i'm like for you i got fucking 20 minutes <laughs> and you say you know I, like i'm i don't know what to do and you're yeah. such an idea guy. You're like i don't know what to do i don't know what to do He's like, have you, and I never forget this. You're like, have you ever heard of White Rock? I'm like, yeah, you mean like that joke of a program in Texas? Like they're terrible. And you're like, well, I can go coach there. So yeah. you make a big shift. Now we've talked about this in other times. Like when we've, when we've talked about you transitioning over there, now you're two years in, year and a half in, why did you make the move? So why did you do that big jump? So when they first reached out, I honestly was not planning on taking it. Um, and we went down, saw the facility and I was like, just going to go in open mind. Um, and 
saw potential for for what it could be down here with um boathouse and the the waterway and just kind of like as we were talking and looking at stuff and just kind of this, this vision started forming of, of being able to, to do something really cool down here and there's um kind of seen with with dave o'neill at texas and i'm not dave o'neill by any means like um but being able to 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 be really successful down in in texas in a place that's not not historically like rowing central like whether it's northeast or or out west is kind of where it's been and then sarasota but um and i i don't know if you had said at the time but i mean mike wallen kind of did the same thing in in chicago right like it wasn't historically a rowing powerhouse and he's built it into one right and and i think mike kind of had this vision for for what he wanted to do but that's sort of what we saw down here was there's this opportunity with the infrastructure that they have at at white rock that we've been able to kind of build upon um and yeah just this huge amount of potential to to turn it into something really really cool down here and it's hard to pass up opportunities like that and and i've been since being around sandy um and talking to sandy a lot um i i she i know gets offers to to go coach in college all the time like sandy's awesome um and there's a reason she stayed at marin and i mean she has become marin rowing like sandy armstrong is marin so it's like that's if there's an opportunity to do that why wouldn't i kind of bet on myself and and see if i could even come close to what her or mike or any of those coaches have done and, and turned programs like or them so um I mean, that's yeah, a good kind of like, was, it, was it was it hard for annie to to be bought in was that was that a challenge um i don't think so i think she's fairly the fairly confident person i think and she's like yeah let's do it um so what, what, what we talked we talked about this in other times where we, we've had we've been on camera is like you guys are you guys are a rowing couple right yeah. you're like she she's the rower you're the coxswain right she's she's really the director and you're the coach right it's like she really yeah. still directs things oh yeah um, and it's like it's so rare to have a relationship that is built on trust that's built in a marriage to that and then take that trust and marriage and, and build a rowing program right um yeah. And I'm not, I'm not, I, look, I, you know how I feel about White Rock. Like I, I have a huge soft spot in my heart for White Rock, but <laughs> like you're very, you know, it's very fortunate to have that. Um, so like yeah. I was, I'm, I'm like, you know, cause I, I write, I take notes. Like I, I like I have notes here on, on our meeting and 2010 to 2020 was like your learning decade. Where yeah. you still, all you talked about in the first 20 minutes of this, of this interview, this podcast is the people that you met, the learning opportunities that met, the sacrifices that you made, and then now this next decade of your life is taking everything you've learned and like I wrote vision growth and like taking what you've learned and now developing it for a bigger, better thing. Um, I hope so. Yeah, you hope so. I mean, you <laughs> yeah. know, you've had you've had some success at White Rock. I think what you've I think what you realized, you and I are a lot of the like. It's like we have this vision in our head. And if it doesn't happen in the first 30 days, you start to panic, right? You're like, yeah. why isn't this happening? And then hopefully uh, you'll realize it takes a long time. Um, 
But uh, something that something dawned on me, and, and I was thinking about this, and, and I want to get your opinion. When I was like 15 to 22, so my high school, college era, if a coxswain was my coach, I was so arrogant that I'd be like, piss off. I, you have nothing to say to me. You have no idea what it's like to do a 2K. You have no idea what it's like to go 608. You have no idea what it's like to try to go sub six. And you have no idea what it feels like to do a 2K on the water. Have you ever run into that in your career? Have you ever run into athletes or other coaches that dismiss you because you're a coxswain? Not to my face, at least. I think part of that, especially coming here and, and talking to the athletes about what our goals are and what we're trying to do and, and that stuff. And I'm hoping at, at this point with the, the place that I've been and, and the success that we had and, and honestly that, that last year at Capitol, I think did a lot for that and for credibility with, with what we were able to do that, that last year. And yeah. unfortunately the second half of the spring got cut off and we don't know how the rest of that, excuse me, would have gone. But I think that's done a lot in, in terms of that. Like, I mean, look up results and I think we were we were pretty successful and did some really cool stuff so I, I'm I don't think I've really run into that on the the athlete side of things um maybe if anything it probably would have been back at Harvard I mean I was two years old or a year older than some of those kids yeah, yeah. right like and they're all rowing for whatever country they're from whether I mean <laughs> like and I'm this kid that was a coxswain at Marist that was like their age um so maybe those guys did they probably did it's it's you know uh, you know some of your some of the kids at white rock probably think you're 45 years old right they they, oh, they yeah. like high school kids have no idea what age is right? now all right, i want to transition into like coaching styles and cool. what's important um and for all the rowing nerds out there now you could turn on your podcast and you could start listening because <laughs> and, and, and market market cj it starts to get interesting at 27 minutes in <laughs> so all right so first off i i want to know what are your top five most important things for high school rowing as a coach what do you focus on what are the top five things for the whole program Hmm. Ah, man, that's tough because there, there's so many things. Um, let's 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 say, have yeah. that conversation. So you you say one thing, maybe I'll add to it. Just go, yeah. Which, I I'll, I think I'll, the most important thing. Um, disagree with me. Agree with me. Whatever. Um, at every kind of junior program we've been at, the most important thing culture. I I think is um. Yeah, that just kind of sets the tone for everything, right? And I think that that starts with the coaches and, and the vision that you express to the kids and, and the way that you carry yourself and um, the athletes to carry themselves and, and treat each other on and off the water. Um, and that was something that Ben, like, was fantastic at. And I think better than, than anybody I've been around is just making this culture um, of – everybody on the team is super valuable. Ben every day would just say um, pretty much almost every day, like it's not about the boat you're in, it's the team you're on. Right. And like really made that a, a point that the guys knew it was about the, the team first. Um, 
to the point we had like our fastest guy at capital um was fast like he was really good but when we would 2k or 10k whatever piece we we're doing right he'd finish his zerg get up and before he'd do anything else get up go to the back row of ergs and cheer on the guys that were still going right and i think like that having sort of that environment um really kind of leads to success on the water where like everybody cares about everybody else on the team and and that i i just i can't think of anything that that's more important than that. so so one of the things that you and i talked about in texas yeah. when i was there is i actually think building a culture with the parents is more important than the kids in those first couple of years yeah. right so it's so important in the parents on board with what you're trying to accomplish like as a parent myself if i walk in I need to know the coach. I got to talk to that person. I got to talk to the board. I got to make sure that the thousands of dollars I'm investing in my, my goddamn kids is going to, is going to pay off. Um, totally. So I, I agree. Now, how I think about, they kind of work together, right? Like if, if the, 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 the yeah. kids are coming down and having a really good time, I think that's how you get parents, right? As, as a parent yourself, if your kids were doing something that they loved and were talking very highly of every day, I, regardless of what it is, I think, as, as long as it's not stupid. Um, no, so, you know think, I mean? so Grace, so you know, you know, Grace, uh, yeah. Grace, Grace made the travel soccer team for Maryland for seven, awesome. eight to 10 year olds. Here, no, <laughs> no, no, no. That's awesome. Everyone walks up, she goes, I don't want to do it. I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? You don't want to do it. Are you a Del Sordo? Like, what is, what? So I haven't found it yet. I, in other words, I have not found where my children are like, I love this. I can't wait to do this. Um, we're not there yet. All right. Well, what, what's, what else is on your top five list? I think work ethic is another one. And I think that's something that's sort of hard to come by now. If I'm being totally honest, I'm not trying to rag on all the kids now, but I, I think it is a challenge to get athletes to, to really, um, work hard for something that that's you're not going to get any sort of immediate impact on regardless even if we're taking like super super microcosm like one year right we're talking about like we're asking high school athletes to to focus on something that's 10 11 months down the road um and i think on the the high school athlete side of things like being able to, to put in that work and kind of trust the vision regardless of where you're rowing who your coach is, any of that stuff. Like, I think that is incredibly valuable and, and is something you take through the rest of your life. But um, I know that's not exactly like a super exciting answer, but I, I do think it's really important. Well, I, you know what actually made me think of? Like, I don't see a lot of kids, a lot of high school kids going to the well. Now, my old yeah. coach used to say, go to the well, go to the well. And like, I would, I, you know, look, I had days, I had weeks, I had months where I was like, I'm not going to go. I'm not, I'm not pulling hard. This is ridiculous. Um, but you know, the battle paddle idea, right. That you're yep. always going, you're always pushing. Um, I think you got to have that right culture to get the right work ethic. And then it, it trickles down. You know, I, I, you didn't, you didn't, you haven't said it yet. I think fucking fitness, man. I think like real fitness is so important. Like I, I like all these kids are so spent, this generation, I don't care, I hate to use the word kids. Like I'm only 36, but like <laughs> third generation is so focused on things that are not important or things that were not important when you and I were and, and other coaches back then. Yeah. General fitness is abysmal 
And I remember when you walked into yeah. White Rock, you're like, these kids are tiny. Yeah. Like I remember Jordy Backer, aka Kingslayer, looked like a grown man. Oh yeah. Next to half your team. Oh yeah. So and what kind of stuff are you doing to build fitness? So like, how do you build fitness for your team? Work hard. A lot of work. A lot That's of not an I mean, I want to know reps. What do you do? Um, haven't really done it. Did. So I, I think that is kind of the next thing, right? Like I think those first two things sort of have to be in place before you can start doing fitness. Like we just showed up and we're like, Hey, we're going to run the same training plan that we did at capital. Like, here we go. I think I would have had like six kids on the team um, from like where they were, to be honest. That's so you're so adapting. So adapt. Yeah. You got to adapt to your environment. So I think putting that stuff in place and getting the, the buy-in from the athletes and, and what they need and having them sort of see the vision and, and how fast everybody is. Cause like, I, mm, people are going to get mad at me for, for saying this, but I, I do think like after COVID like junior rowing is not necessarily maybe the top end speed is, but I think there is a, a bit of a gap where it's not as fast as it was in 2019. Like, I mean, even just if you look at times in the, the men's eight, like, I mean, we had five, six crews under 550 that year at, at nationals. Um, and I, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's quite back yet. And I think people are across the country are still kind of, kind of building, not, I think the top teams are fast. And then I think there is a bit of a gap to, being at that that top level where I think there were a lot more teams kind of in that that range um two or three years ago so um having the athletes go and and see how fast the top teams are I think has been huge um whether it was going out to to Long Beach and and racing Newport and those guys or or nationals or any of that stuff um I think that's a huge component to it and and yeah, it's just, it is a lot of work. Um, and whether it's doing a lot of meters and heart rate training stuff or doing a lot of meters in small boats, like there, there's a lot of ways to go about it. Um, and kind of depends on the resources you have available at your club. But like, I know like this whole summer, we're just doing ton of meters in, in Paris straight fours, um, that, that stuff, um, and just getting, getting a lot of work in that way. Um, and then during, during the year, I, I'll kind of go back to, to capital. Cause I think that's more of how we want to run things when it's sort of there. And I think when the athletes are there, but I mean, we were doing easily a hundred K a week, um, whether that was on the erg or, or water, like kind of combined somewhere, somewhere between hundred was pretty typical. Um, anywhere up to 120, 130K a week. But you're not there um, yet. I don't think we're there yet. Well, we'll maybe this year. All right, let me, I think let that's me, kind of the so plan. I want to do this. I want to do this yeah. thing. I want to, I want to, I'm going to tell you what I did in 2004 at Mainland. Okay. This is a typical week. And then you're going to tell me how it compares to 2022 for your training. 2022. Okay. Yeah. I. So like, like take what you did this year, right? Yeah. And compare it compared to what I was doing. So, and anyone from mainland St. Joe's prep or LaSalle was doing these workouts. Yep. Right? This, is a, this is a guarantee. Here we go. Three by 20 every Monday guaranteed. That's what we did yep. every Monday on the earth, three by 20. 
on Tuesday was 60 to 80 minutes of just steady, like a little bit of flush out. Wednesday, four by 10, almost guaranteed. It was a, we're going to start to really kick it up a bit. Again, back into Thursday was another long steady state. Five by 1500 meters Friday, either 10 by 250 or 10 by 500 meters on Saturday, or we did 90 minutes watching a movie. Monday through Saturday, erg from November 15th until March 1st. It was a guarantee. We did the same workouts. Now we occasionally did three by eight minutes. Um, we did some like seven minute pieces, but it was volume erg. We never lifted a weight, never. And in that time, we also did a lot of like body work. So on the 60 minute steady states, we would do like core, like, you know, sit-ups and push-ups, but we never touched a weight. Now in that era, I broke 1500 meters three times a 140. And I was slow. Guys in the top eight that year were breaking five times and it was a rate capped. Mm -hmm. So how does that compare to 2022 training? I can give you a week if you want. Give me a week. Give it to me. Okay. So um, Monday we do pretty longer. Um, and just again, kind of typical week. Not like we do this, the same thing every week. But like Monday, pretty longer. Whether it's uh, a 10K or we have names for stupid stuff. But it's always at least like 40 minutes really, really hard, right? Like somewhere around 10K-ish and then warm up, cool down whatever and top guys generally rp3s um and yeah so that's monday um tuesday somewhere around um between 10 and 15k on the water um usually pieces and again might be like a four by two k day or some 1500, whatever it is, just some kind of hard pieces, low rate, and then lift. Um, Wednesday's kind of a longer uh, steady state day, generally. Um, and on longer steady state days, want to get in at least 15K. Um, and sometimes that's in small boats. We weren't really able to do that um, last year just because we need more coaches, to be honest, uh, for the number of athletes we have to do that stuff. Um, so, that was in eights, but I would love it to be in pairs or, or fours or whatever it may be um, on Wednesday, Thursday, kind of some shorter stuff. And when it's say shorter stuff, like 90 second pieces or, or something like that, and a lot of them um, get not crazy, crazy high rate. Um, that stuff will come kind of later in the spring, but like typical kind of Thursday, we would do 90 seconds on 60 seconds off times seven times two, right? Like um, plus a, just about 5k ish warm up and then maybe a 5k cool down and then lift after um friday similar to wednesday um or again kind of depending on the week warm up and then like three by ten minutes and and a seven minute piece or some something along those lines on a on a friday and then saturday is always race day regardless of where we are in in the year if it's in the fall it's longer stuff um if it's in the spring well, maybe 1Ks or 1500s or 2K day or whatever it may be um, on, on Saturdays. And, and the idea is that we try to make Saturdays as, as 
stressful or more so than a, a race environment and, and put them in that situation as, as many times as possible. Um, yeah, that, that ends up being a fairly typical week without going into exactly what we're doing every week. I think that would be pretty boring for everybody, but yeah. Okay. So this is so, this is so interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Like, so one, I, okay. I'm not looking for a sponsorship sponsorship from RP3, but like, I, I hate RP3 ergs. I hate them. Really? I don't. Yeah, yeah. Shoot me. Kill me. Uh, yeah. I am a old school Model C concept <laughs> too. Like, I want to hurt. You're dating like, yourself, man. I do. I want my lower back and my intercostal muscles to be screaming, you know, 60 minutes in. Now, here's the thing. What I noticed here, though, is in 04, we spent five months erging all the time. But the other thing that we did was we always knew what the workout was the week the week ahead and yeah. we mapped our success. So we always knew Friday was five by 1500, right? So yeah. you have a marker to see success. And, and talking about, we talked about this earlier, you need to figure out how to get a kid to understand 11 months from now, all this training is gonna culminate to that. I'm a true believer that you should be doing the same success measuring every single week right? So that you can watch progression. Now training these days is lifting shorter pieces, higher intensity, more variety, like way more variety than what yeah. we had done almost 20 years ago, you know, 20 years ago. And you talked to Brian Volpenheim, you talked to other guys, it was like three by 40 minutes, right? Yeah. Two by 40 minutes. And you're just going to grind it out. That's interesting. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I think where you and I disagree is the variety of workouts. Yeah. I'm still a believer in what what worked 20 years ago would work for the future. Um, we but, do have like our kind of staple test sort of measurements that we have, right? Regardless of, I mean, it depends on the time of the year, right? Like fall, we're doing a lot of 10Ks um, and maybe, like consistent. maybe every week. Um, and like the guys can see that and we have that all mapped out and in the spring, it it's different, right? We have different erg pieces that, that, that we do and, and we won't do it every week, but I typically like for a, a really hard erg, we'll probably kind of cycle through three or four of them. So they'll they'll do it once a month and, and kind of be able to see where they're at. Um, but a lot of that stuff and, and sort of where they're at in the training cycle, like we have that information, um, whether it's from heart rate data or, um, from test pieces or whatever it may be like we kind of collect that stuff um and and have a lot of access to that and and seeing where they're at and that's sort of what i'm like typically like there's a lot of factors that that go into especially on the high school side like how well kids are recovering and where they're at physically that we don't see right like we don't have eyes on them for a majority of the day yeah good point um so there is some flexibility built in there. Like if, if okay, I, we started doing this and, and it might be overkill, but like I have a spreadsheet and the guys fill in um, resting heart rate and weight in the morning. And honestly, it started with lightweights so we could kind of get a, a trend of where guys were at, but we found it was a really good indicator of how guys were recovering and the sort of totally unintended who, consequence. Who's the we boat? Were, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. 
Gosh darn it. I'm usually, I knew this. I knew, I usually know this stuff. Who, there was a four, a men's four that started doing this years ago that made, made headline news in rowing. Like, and I, and I, I'm going to have to ask you. Yeah. I'm going to be Australia because like they, this, this one team, I want to say it was South Africa or maybe it was, it was maybe not the Italians. Gosh, darn it. There was a, a national team that did this and they would like completely adjust their training schedules yeah. on a daily basis yeah. on how well majority of the boat was operating. Yeah. And that, that was great for us. Like to see like, I don't know, maybe you guys are like really stressed out about some test that's coming up that I don't know about, right? And and can see that. But the the totally unintended consequence, we were able to like see when guys were starting to get sick and be like, don't come to the boathouse, um, which was really bizarre. I had no idea that's what it was going to be. Wow. But like when we started seeing draft, like one or two guys that would just be like way off where they were normal heart rate stuff. Um was usually a pretty good indicator that they were getting sick um, or like weight started fluctuating drastically. Um, so that's been really cool to see and, and kind of can dictate the training plan. And, and it sort of goes back to what you were saying that you don't think this day and age, like athletes are really going to the well. Right. And yeah, but maybe there is like one kid in the boat that like, whatever it is maybe it's like a jv kid that's doing everything he can to get in that boat and you don't really know like cool like he's in the jv great um should be in there awesome but he's working way harder than everybody else on the team like being able to know that and sort of dictate the training plan make sure that he's recovering and in a, in a good position for for racing i think is really really important um, now, how hard is that? How hard is that for you? How hard is it to get the kids to do that every day? Was that a challenge? Because that's yeah. human nature. I mean, once you do it yeah. a week, it's, it sets, but was it hard to get them to? Yeah, it was, it was tough. Um, I will say we have not done that here yet. That was something we did at Capital and it was oh, awesome. Okay. Um, I don't, we're going to start doing that this fall. Um, we did not yet because I think it's, it's another thing that just kind of wanted to get everybody into the, the culture and started with that. But um, it took a little bit, but then realistically, I mean, it takes two minutes, not even, I mean, you get up, shower, you hop on the scale, you can get your weight. And before you get out of bed, you take a pulse. Like it takes two minutes to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, kids forget to do it, but as, as long as we sort of have an idea of the trends and, and where they're normally at and, and that stuff. And the other thing that's, that's nice with that, like, yeah, if you have, somebody that's all of a sudden an outlier, right? Like gives you an opportunity to go in and check in on that kid and make sure everything's okay. I don't know, man. Like there's a lot of stuff going on with just high school athletes in general, whether it's, I don't know, kids' parents are getting divorced or their girlfriend broke up with them or whatever, right? But like, maybe you don't want to talk about it, but gives you an opportunity to kind of get in front of it and, and check in with your athletes because yeah, the heart rate stuff doesn't really lie. Like it, it does tell a pretty good story if you're paying attention to it. You know, Chris, and I, I, you know, hats off to you. I, I, I can't wait. So this, this season, the yep. rest, the rest of this season is I'm talking to high school coaches Sweet. and I'm going to be like each one I'm focusing on a very specific aspect of training or technique styles and approaches. And you like, I really want to talk about what were the top five things that you focus on because you, you've, you've been around a long time relative, right. But yep. like you're new to a program, right. So I yep. just wanted to get a sense of that. Now, 
something just, you, you made a story just popped in my head. I had a coach, I'm not gonna say who it was, that did not care if I broke up with my girlfriend, did not care if I failed a test. In fact, one day, in the same day, he says, I could put a pineapple in your seat and the boat move faster. And then we lost a piece to the Jays. And he goes, Alex, you are 98% of the boat speeds problem. Get the fuck, get, get out of your head and back in this boat, you're pathetic. And my world collapsed. Now, I don't think that you talk like that to your athletes. I think that's a different generation. <laughs> but I think that if I, what I've learned here today with you is the variety will help. Now I'm still training. I'm yep. still, I'm still working out. And, and I, I like this idea of checking heart rate, checking weight, measuring, adjusting, doing different pieces instead of just sitting on the erg every damn night and, yep. and pulling hard. Um, what's, uh, what's the future look like for white rock rowing? What is, what, what, what do you see the future being for the next couple of years? I mean, I hope and, and kind of planning from talking to the guys and, um, girls and sort of where we're at, I mean, the hope is to go compete with the best. Right. And, and that's, I think the, the goal and, and past year and a half has really been sort of setting the foundation for, for what's to come. Um, and yeah, it's starting to look like an actual team. I mean, we're going into the fall with five eights of returning guys. Like that's a, a real team. Um, and the girl side, how about like, what does the girls team look like? The girls are in a little bit of a different spot. Like they're way younger. I mean, they only graduated one athlete. Um, and I think this year they only have two seniors, right? So they've, they've been super, super young and kind of a, a similar thing. I think they're probably in terms of, of size and where they're at, maybe a year sort of behind us. Um, so I think they're going into the fall with 28, 29 returning, something like that. Um, so a couple of eights of girls, um, yeah, just kind of building it and, and they've gone about, um, gone about things differently than the guys. Like we decided we're going to race the eight and, and that's what we want to do in the future. And, and they've focused on maximizing what they have and, and, and whether it's paired in 2021 or like straight for this year and, and whatever it was, right. Like focusing on that stuff, getting them excited that way and getting them experience in top level finals at, at nationals to, to hopefully build for the eight, um, this year or next year. Um, and that, that is something that I took from Sandy and, and hopefully makes an impact with somebody, but like allowing the coaches to, to a certain extent, like that are with those specific athletes every day and, and working with their squads to kind of giving them the freedom or allowance or whatever you want to call it to, to sort of execute their vision for the team and sort of the bigger um, overall club vision is something Sandy did an awesome job on. And anytime I sort of got out of line of the overall big Marin vision, she would call me into her office and be like, Hey, this is not the direction we want to go, but like rein it in a little bit. Um, but yeah, having, having that freedom to kind of develop the team how they want, I think has been awesome. And I think the girls are really, really excited about it. And I know the coaches are pretty excited about it and everybody's pretty bought in. So I'm, I'm excited to see, I know I just said excited a lot, 
but I am excited to to see what the what the girls do because they, they are really really young and and developing a pretty cool culture. I mean that U sixteen eight got fifth. Like that's a really young group of eighth graders that are are coming up and and hopefully the the future of the team. What an episode, huh? <laughs> episode one hundred so. in the books. Listen, I had a great time, Chris. You um. <laughs> You always put a smile on my face because I, 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 I know that you and I could sit here for like three or four hours. Oh, yeah. And I know that like one of the things that I really want to talk to you about, which we'll, we'll save for a future conversation, yeah. is the rigging, right? Is the rigging. Totally. Um, you know what? You know what? I'm going to go 10 more minutes. I'm going to go five more minutes because cool. I, I don't want I want someone to hear you talk about rigging. So CJ, cool. we're riding it back. I want to know, Chris. Yeah. Rigging is so important to you. Yes. It is so important. Yeah. Now it's no, it's no secret. You wrote Pococks. Yeah. Uh, you, and you have a variety. You have other boats. Like you have an Empocker. You guys got, you got Vespolis. You got, you got everything, but your, your eights are the Pococks. Um, where do you have your team set at? What are your measurements? What oars are you using? Where are you set at? And then, and then once you answer that, I have one more question for you. Yeah. Uh, it depends on the crew um and and sort of where we're at and i, I um yeah it really depends on the crew and i, I, I even like and pocket whatever we were rowing like it would it would change year to year depending on the crew and and sort of what would benefit them and what they're really good at um and in terms of drive mechanics or like got a really, really strong crew or a super fit crew that's going to rate a little bit higher or whatever it is and, and being a little bit flexible there. Um, the X8 in particular has been tricky to figure out, not slow. It's just been different than kind of traditional way of thinking and um, talking to, to Tyler and and um, about this and, and Nick uh, at Columbia, who's awesome and super willing to just like chat with the junior coach, which is great. Um, yeah, just kind of playing around with some different stuff. And we went way wider on the spread than I ever have been. Um, so we messed around with 84, 84 and a half even uh, with the top guys and just like a really long or so I think we were end of the year, 84 and a half, 376, um, 114 and a half, which is like way out of the opposite direction of what everybody's going now with kind of shorter oars, tighter span, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And run the, the Croker arrows, um, which I, I love. And Greg's been phenomenal um, working with him, but yeah, it's, it's been interesting to figure out. And I think we can spend a lot of time in the fall kind of messing around with it and, and seeing what works and, and taking some time to, to play with things and move stuff around. Um, but even like going back to, to the heart rate stuff, like I'm a huge data guy, like that's what it did. worked in finance. Right. And like, that's, so just getting data to, to kind of put into spreadsheets or whatever, however I want to map it out, but collecting that data, I think is really important. So have some data points from last year, um, from this past year and, and try to add to it in the fall and, and see sort of where it falls. Cause I'm not, oh, 100% sure that was right, but it was seems in, in the X8 in particular, not so much the hypercarbons, but it seems like wider spread, longer, or a little bit of a flatter arc 
is faster in that shell than than going tighter and i don't really know why but it it all of my data to this point says that that's right how often are you are you making adjustments to the rigging Ooh, often probably more than i should like Obviously, want to give them time. I feel like if you make a change, it's going to take a little bit of time to adjust, right? And it might not be great. Um, but I think like two or three days, you'll get a pretty good idea if it's right. Um, and you can see whether it's the way the boat looks or um, numbers or whatever it may be. Like you get a pretty good idea if it's right or wrong. So if it's wrong, we'll change it and try something else. I mean, there's when we're messing around with stuff, I mean, we, Oh, over the course of probably three weeks, I think we run three or four different rigs trying to figure stuff out. Um, and how much, I think how much, that, all right, so, yeah. all right, so, okay, let's, let's compare this really quick yeah. to another sport. Yeah. Um, basketball is a bad one. Um, it's tough. So like, I don't know, I don't even know if you can compare it to another sport like tennis. Yeah. And you're adjusting your racket, um, uh, tension yeah. and, you're adjusting your shoes and you're adjusting yep. this. Don't you think that making that many adjustments to a crew is going to mess with the heads of the athletes? I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the world of like, I'm going to set it once. We're going to start that year. We're going to see how it rolls for a couple months. We'll make adjustments. But, but, but I believe that making so many adjustments, you kind of get in the heads of the kids. Oh, it doesn't work. The rigging It's the problem. It's the rigging. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not pulling hard enough. I'm not doing this. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that that kind of depends on how you present it and what you're talking to them about. Right. And like, I've been maybe to a fault, a pretty transparent with the athletes and just been like, Hey guys, like, I don't know if it's going to be faster. I don't know if it's going to be slower. Like we know what it is at this point, right? Like at whatever rig we're at, we know what our speed is. Um, and tell them like, we're just going to try it and, and see, maybe it's faster. Maybe it's not. And if it's not, we can go back to what it is. We're not changing the way we row. Right. Um, and I think I've found like they're pretty receptive to that. And, and especially if you have like really talented oarsmen in your boat that have really good boat feel, like they'll give feedback i mean there's a there's a kid at capital and i'll never forget this we changed we didn't even tell them we changed um something very very small um and we went out and literally after the warm-up he's like what did you change like what are you talking about and he's like it's wrong right okay i guess it's wrong adam um like immediately and we're like all right cool but uh, my thought is always like, what if it is faster? Like, what if it is? Like, like, I won't know unless we try it. And maybe it's slower. And there, there are times we'll go out and try stuff and it's slower. And I'll be like, guys, that was wrong. Sorry. Like, so what kind but, of, what kind of, man, I mean, now, yeah. now we're getting into it right now. We're like yeah. getting into it. I want to like, so let's pretend six minute is the number, right? Okay. Okay. So you're six minute 2K. Yeah. And, Let's say you make a half of a centimeter change in your spread. You go from an 84 to an 84 and a half. You went out yeah. a little bit. If, if the bar is six minutes, how yeah. much slower or faster do you think that kind of incremental change will make? 
all things equal. Everything, everything equal. Is yeah, it, like you're, you're just pulling the same. Is it? It's a huge change. Yeah. It's pretty because you're you're not just changing like load, right? If you're changing the spread, then you're changing the catch angle, finish angle, the blade yeah. path through the water, like changing a lot. Uh, um. So I, I mean, if we go out and do something, and it's, I mean, it'll be a split at least difference one way or the other. And that's where it's like, yeah, we know if it's right or wrong. Um, there, there have been days where we've gone out with two sets of oars. Like they'll go out with a set of oars and we'll have a different set on launch and change. Wow. Like in between pieces. Like I've, I know I've done that. Um, and I, do, I think like to your point earlier, like, oh, do they get in their heads? I don't think so. Because like if you're telling them what's going on, what you're trying to do and, and explaining like, they're athletes right and they want to go as fast as possible and like i at least in my experience having them kind of explore options and and see i think they're pretty into it and and want i guess then my thought on that going into a race then you have the confidence and again right or wrong the athletes are then confident going to the race that they're set up to be as fast as possible right and they're set up for success and know that none of that stuff is going to be a factor. And again, it might be, I'm not saying I know everything could be really, really wrong. Could have gotten it really wrong. I have gotten it wrong. Um, but at least then going into the race, it's kind of in the back of the athlete's mind. Like we explored everything we possibly could. This is the fastest we can go. Now we just got to go hard. At least that's the way I think of it. And I hope the athletes think the same way. What a way to end episode 100. <laughs> That's the official end right there. Perfect. Anyone tuning in, if they stayed the full hour and five minutes, hour and 10 minutes, I hope you enjoyed it. This is number 100. And you know what? We're going to do 100 more of these damn things because why not? I'm having a great time. And I hope that you did, Chris. Yeah. I hope that you enjoyed this. I hope that you like enjoyed talking about your past and, 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 and remembering all the people that affected your life in, in rowing and uh, you know that I'm one of your biggest fans. Uh, Chris, thanks for being here. And anyone tuning in, we have more coming up next week on Rower's Choice Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.